He served in the uh, war in Iraq. He was uh, hit by an Iranian-made bomb. He lost half his face. He died, and he had an afterlife experience that he'll be telling us about. But uh, this hero, and you'll be seeing some of the uh, pictures that we'll be sharing with you. Some of them are rather graphic. You'll be able to hit the link to access some of those uh, images. Uh, he has those uh, photos that we'll share with you from his time serving in Iraq. But we're going to be starting a little bit earlier uh, because he was a child. He has had three experiences, near-death experiences. So first I want to say welcome, Robert. It is great to have uh, you, are a hero, a Purple Heart uh, veteran, and one who has appeared, I know, on, on Fox News. And so it's great to have you with us today. Uh, thank you, Randy. Uh, I appreciate you calling me a hero, but the reality is, is we don't, I, don't, I don't feel that way. I just am a guy who was doing my job. Most of my buddies who... Uh, who died don't come home those are our heroes because uh, they paid the ultimate sacrifice and uh god just had a blessing just want to he want he said i had more work to do so well i appreciate your saying that i'm going to call you a hero nonetheless <laughs> so <laughs> okay well yeah because you are um and certainly those who have lost their life i trust that uh that many of them are are celebrating today in heaven uh, with us as you speak. Um, You did go back to childhood and you had some interesting experiences uh, leading up to this very traumatic uh, experience in Iraq. Uh, And so uh, can we start there, please? Sure, sure. I uh, I grew up in a normal family. uh, born in the 70s and early 70s and uh, you know uh, fa- young families starting out uh, with their careers and and young kids and my parents all were came from two different sides of faith um, and so uh, instead of pushing faith on each other and and they couldn't work out one going to another church they decided to have to not celebrate any faith and then the kids would pick their faith when they grew up and so we were raised nothing. Uh, we'd pray a little bit, maybe at Thanksgiving or something like that, or we, if we actually ate around the dinner table. But um, when I was very young, we go back, God was always reaching into my life. And it started when I was around a toddler. I was probably two or three years old. And I was on my uncle's motorcycle. It was like a Harley in the garage. Uh, my mother put me on it. Uh, why they were taken in the groceries. We just got back from the grocery store. I think, I think my mother was pregnant with my, my, uh, my brother, Sean, my youngest brother. And I was rocking it back and forth and the handlebars ended up pinning me against the wall and choking me out. And I ended up dying. My sister came out and found me and ran and got my mother and, uh, said, Robert's dead, Robert's dead. And my mom came and got me and, and um, she was always supposed to be a nurse, you know. Uh, we're right where God wants us when he puts us there. And we're right in our vocations when he, where he wants us and what he wants us to do is, you know, 
because if she wasn't a nurse, I wouldn't be here. She resuscitated me. I kept dying. She would resuscitate me. I'd die until I, until I came back. And ever since then, I, I kind of remember like always God speaking to me when I was little, he said, you can never add to me and you can never take away from me because he is, he just, he is the, I am. And that's, that's what I always remember. And I don't know why it always stuck with me. I can remember right where I was. I was in this giant sandbox on the side of the house that we'd had where we could build a fort and everything else. And uh, he spoke to me there. I'll grow up in life or I, you know, I'll talk to him here and there. And then I slowly started living in the secular world and um, uh, got inter- introduced to porn at a young age um, and some other uh, things, alcohol and, and things like that. And it, it really, really uh, led me away from, from him, you know, but he just, he just waits. He just sits there and waits and, keeps calling us and keeps reaching out to us. Well, later on in life, I, I would get these little signs of things to come and um, a prophetic word, I guess. And I knew before my grandmother died, she was in the hospital and she was supposed to get out the next day. And I, and I was celebrating my birthday at an Irish pub and we were drinking pretty heavy. And I just had this overwhelming feeling come over me. And I just looked at my buddy and I said, you know, my, my grandmother's going to die tomorrow. And, uh, and he said, the last time I had a feeling like that, you know, I, uh, my buddy killed himself. And I said, well, you know, so I went to the hospital, I checked in and, uh, that evening, um, my grandmother started pacing and we got up in the middle of the night and, and went up to see her. And she, she died that morning around 1045 that morning. And that, that was kind of like the start, you know? And then there was another time I had a overwhelming feeling. My spirit was just burning and hurting. And I, I knew something like dark, things were dark. And and um, I didn't know what to do about it, you know? And I just, I used to, my church back then was go out and go fishing. And so I, I would just go out in the lake and, and just think about things and, I guess I was talked to God. I'm not really sure. And I would just, you know, I'm just fish. And I found out that, you know, my fiance at the time, um, long, uh, you know, I married somebody else, but, uh, she had an abortion with my kid and then told me eight months later, you know, it was around that same time that nine 11 happened. Mm. So I had these two worlds that were coming together. You know, I was going to leave my fiance now, um, and that's when I figured out I was pro-life. I had no idea I was pro-life until then. Um, but I would have worked three jobs to take care of my kid, you know, whatever it took. Um, well, then 9-11 happened and I, uh, signed up for the war. But prior to that, after my grandmother died, God was always speaking to me and he would speak to me all the time in my head. I'd hear the number 32, 32, 32. I knew that I was going to die at the age of 32 and I was probably 25 at the time. And now that my fiance and I broke up, you know, I was, I was pushing 30, I was 28, 29. And then by the time I got into the army, I was 30. I did delayed entry program. I saw that we were staging outside of Iraq. We gave Saddam about six months to get out of there. And I knew this war was going to last longer than the previous war. 
you know, we were already in Afghanistan. I thought that wouldn't take that long. Who knew? Nobody knew we were going to be there 20 years. And, uh, and I just, I just went down and signed up. I turned to turned to my boss. I saw we were staging. I knew Saddam wouldn't back down and he wasn't going to leave his country. I think, uh, Putin at the time told him, he said, you better get out of there. The, the Americans are coming in and, and he didn't, he didn't back down. So well, I knew it. I just knew it. And I, I just told my boss, he was a, uh, bartender or he owned an Irish pub. In Arizona and uh, I just said you know I'm gonna go I'm gonna go to war um, I'm gonna go sign up and he was he came from a country that was persecuted you know the inner fighting in Ireland of um, Protestants and Catholics was terrible there and he, he he fled to America to escape all that you know and he just said well I love America it provided me you know a true living here and uh, he was he became a wealthy man, first generation Irishman, and and um, he said he just he just gave me his blessing, and I and I left. So, you know, I went, I did delayed entry program, and then went to training at Fort Knox, Kentucky, became a Calvary Scout, and then I ended up at Fort Stewart, Georgia, and I got a sniper slot and became a sniper. And then when I was at sniper school, I turned thirty one. When I turned 31, the numbers started flipping in my head. 31, 32, 31, 32, 31, 32, all the time. I can't explain it. I told, you know, I told family members about this and friends years prior to this, prior to me joining the military. And they just kind of all blew it off. Well, now I'm in the army and I'm going to war. I know, I, you know, I know in my, in my heart that like I'm going to pass away, but at least I'll be doing it some kind of selfless way right trying to fight for a better cause fight for the guy to look my left and my right fight for freedom mm -hmm. you know and um and i and i uh so I, I talked to chaplain about it we had a guy who was who had died in, uh, of a brain aneurysm young guy man so sad it's like 21 years old brand new baby brand new baby mm -hmm. maybe maybe a month old you know yeah. And he happened to get a brain aneurysm and died in his sleep next to his brand new baby and his new wife. And we had to do the funeral. Well, this was my chance to actually talk to a man of faith. And I started going to church a little bit um, in basic training. And then when I got to my unit, I didn't really go that much. So I was trying because I wanted to try to get at least a little right, know a little bit about God before I was going to meet him. Right. Um, but I still was lackluster, still living in the world. I had one foot in the world, obviously, still. And, um, and sin wasn't, you know, I just, Jesus just forgives me and that's it. You know, then that's not reality. It doesn't work that way. You know, there's repentance and conversion and, and faith and grace and a lot of things that go into, you know, to our salvation. And I didn't understand any of that. I just, I took, I took Jesus for granted. And um, anyways, I talked to him, uh, Chaplain Spikes about it, Chaplain Mike Spikes, and said, you know, this number has been in my head. I know I'm going to die at the age of 31, 32, and um, 31 now, and we're leaving for war in about a month and a half. And I said, you know, 
I don't know really what to do about this. And he said, well, you know, we all think we're going to die young. And I'm like, yeah, you know, when I was 18, I didn't think I'd make 20. I get that. But, you know, I've owned a small, I've owned a small business before I joined the army. You know, I've been a bartender for six to eight years, you know, um, you know, I've, I've lived a little bit more than a young kid, young 18 year old. And, uh, he just said, well, we'll pray about it. Well, I was always supposed to tell him because, uh, later on in Iraq, he would be interceding for me and praying, um, and holding my hands and praying when I died. So, and, uh, I believe Randy has some pictures of that and you'll see the top of his head off the left of the picture. You'll just see the top of his head. Um, there, but he's actually holding my hands and praying for me when I die. So that same chaplain was the one that you had spoken to had this, what you call a premonition or this idea that you were going to die at around 31, 32 is the same one that was with you at the time that you indeed did. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, he actually later on got stationed at Walter Reed after his deployment and he actually married my wife and I in Gettysburg. Oh, wow. Wow. So I have family roots. Uh, we've been fighting for this country since Valley Forge. And we were actually in the Battle of Gettysburg. I got family members who are in the Battle of Gettysburg and the Battle of Bull Run and some others. And it's, uh, they were Cavalry Scout sharpshooters. And that's kind of amazing um, because that's what I was. I was a Cavalry Scout sniper. That's what a sharpshooter is. So, so uh, we got married um, in a little... Um, bed and breakfast um that was used as a hospital during the gettysburg war you know so but he performed that service yeah yeah it was great i think i've been there and you were a sniper uh trained as a sniper for those of those who are not familiar with what that means you were i believe a special type of sniper weren't you sniper being those who basically are pointing their gun they're very trained and to spot a target uh in the distance and uh but you were assigned to do this for a special assignment weren't you i had uh i had dual roles i had uh i had um calvary scout roles uh where we'd go and check on shakes and make sure they were taking care of the people we had different humanitarian stuff that we were doing um, checking on the community centers and clearing routes and make sure the routes stayed clear uh, of bombs and things like that. And, you know, uh, be on the lookout for certain individuals or certain things like that. And then I had a sniper role, which was totally uh, like another job that I had to do. And I'd go on sniper missions and do overwatch for uh, operations that were going on. Like there was a one night where I had to do an overwatch for a, for a for an mp unit who was uh who was protecting a prison and they they were suspect that they they got word on the street that the prison was going to get overrun and they were going to get the prisoners out and there was a lot of bombs and people died in that area um and a lot of activity was going on in that area from insurgents from other countries and things like that so yeah we were hunting um Iranians, Chechnyans, Syrians, um, any, basically a lot of, uh, 
foreign snipers were coming into the country to try to kill us. And then, uh, so there was bounties on our heads at the time, uh, I think 10, 10, 10,000 American US, uh, if they got a US sniper. Um, so yeah, we had Iranians and who were bringing in bombs and killing a lot of people, a lot of our guys, a lot of kids, uh, to be honest with you. So, yeah. And that's one of the things that um, I know you were uh, 31 at the time, but my father, who was a World War II hero, used to comment that these were just kids, you know, young people, whether you're 30 or you're in your 20s, going through, um, well, PTSD resulted from going through death, through the trauma, through all of this, but you were carrying this weight of uh, believing or thinking that you may die at, at any time. Was it, was it kind of what you're feeling that, uh, that this was a foregone conclusion and you were just looking for that when that would happen? I mean, you were in a role where there was a bounty on your head. Uh, snipers were a particular target because snipers were those who would, you know, fend off whatever, uh, you know, enemy it might be coming at the force. Uh, what was going through your mind? Um, so what, how I kind of lived is I, you know, you went out the gate and you're like, you kind of made peace with you already dead. And then when you got back to the gate, and you, and you got to sleep, you're like, well, I guess God give me one more day, you know? And then you went out the gate in the same kind of process day in and day out was kind of like that. But when we came back, to be honest with you, it was, there was a lot of like bonding and, and fun things. It wasn't, war isn't always just this negative um, thing. There's a lot of camaraderie and like, I was learning how to play guitar and we'd sit out on that. We had this deck off of our barracks and, you know, we could watch the sunset. And if you've ever seen the sunset in the desert, it's beautiful. I came from Arizona and, and like you all in California, we have beautiful sunsets and those reds and purple skies and just amazing, brilliant colors that come out of that. And so for me, it was like, I it was like, God would give me a little piece of home out there and we'd sit out there and smoke cigarettes and, and play guitar, you know? Um, the great thing is I, you know, one of the blessings was is I, I wasn't able to drink while I was there. So I kind of sobered up, you know, I didn't, I mean, I wasn't like a slumbering drunk. I didn't go to work drunk or anything like that. But when I drank, I drank heavy and, uh, and, and, you know, I was there six months without drinking. And that was like the longest I'd gone in years, you know, without a drop. <laughs> wow. That, you know, that, I didn't think about that, you know, being in, uh, in a war zone, you have to be on duty. Um, you can't, you can't drink. I mean, you can't, you know, get well, it's drunk. a Muslim country and that's why. So you follow the ah, laws okay. of, the, of the, of the country. Got now, they didn't follow the laws of the country. They had plenty of times where the kids were, coming up to us and asking us, hey, Mr. Mr. You want to drink whiskey, whiskey, you know, and trying to get us to buy whiskey for him. But for us to get caught with it was big article 15s and all kinds of things, you know? So, you know, I didn't want any stains on my record. My, 
my goal uh, originally before getting blown up was to go into the special forces and drop my packet, my SF-86 and get my packet done and, and try out for the Green Berets, you know? Yeah. And you couldn't share anything about your faith either because it's a Muslim country, right? You were... Well, you could so, share your faith. You weren't sharing your faith with the locals. Not, well, I mean, I wouldn't. I, I, I get. You know, there was no restrictions there. I mean, you didn't. You wouldn't do it in front of like a uh, a religious leader, like a uh, like a imam or something like that. Um, but uh, you know, Islam believes in Jesus and they believe in Mary, um, but they have this whole different sect of theology um and understanding you know uh muhammad flew on a donkey to mecca you know and nobody saw it so you know and it came out in the year 600 so you know there's some things there um theology wise that don't exactly line up but i've met plenty of, i've got muslim friends i've got uh friends of all faiths and you know um i even have some that say they love jesus you know and i love that you know, I would love it if, if I, if the conversion of, of Islam came in, I mean, I had to, you know, after getting blown up and seeing the other side, I mean, I had to forgive the guy who blew me up and, and killed my friend, you know? So it, it's amazing the power of love. And if God is love, right, he's the, he's love. And he says, be good as your, as your heavenly father is good. Well, he is good and he is love. So who are we not supposed to love? We're supposed to love everybody. So now it doesn't mean we're a pacifist religion. I mean, before God, God, Jesus went into the garden, he said, go get two swords. Well, why would he say, go get two swords? He said, go sell two cloaks, go sell some cloaks and get some swords. He said, well, we have some swords right here. Peter says, he said, those will work. Come on, come with me. And they go out to the garden in Gethsemane and he, and they pray and pray and pray, and his sweat becomes like drops of blood, and it's pouring on the ground. And they fall asleep because they're just so worn out, probably a prayer and the thought of losing their teacher and their rabbi. And they're and they're and they just kept falling asleep. They said, Well, won't you stay awake with me for just one hour, you know? And um, and then Peter picks up the sword, right? Well, Jesus warned him because for this he was born, to, for salvation, for for a jerk like me, you know, and uh, and he and and Peter tried to go against the will of God. Now, was it the will of God to not to to protect? He needed to protect the innocents because Jesus was the most perfect innocent person. So that's why Jesus, I believe, said, grab those swords, because we have to protect the innocents. We have to protect the just, the righteous. Those are innocents, right? And right. especially a baby, right? Or, uh, you know, or Jesus, you know? Yeah. We have to protect the innocents. And um, that's what he calls us to do, you know? So I look when I look at a cross, a crucifix is Catholic. I, you know, I do Catholic to uh, talks and and stuff. Um, and I say, when you guys look at the crucifix, I want you to look at that crucifix and you see a man up there bleeding with a crown of thorns on him and he's naked. And somebody had the grace to put a, take their 
take their headdress off and tie it around them so we so they could clothe the naked right clothe the naked you, you did not know me unless you clothed the naked right so this lady clothed the naked you know so we had some kind of dignity while he died and uh you know and i want you to just instead of seeing jesus up there i want you to put a baby up there because that's the closest we can imagine in our hearts and in our minds as fathers and mothers and um, aunts and uncles and, and grandfathers and grandmothers that we can actually see the closest to how innocent Jesus was is in the innocence of a baby. It hasn't made, it hasn't done anything wrong yet. You know, that's a great analogy. I, I love that because it's so true. It was the only one really. Yeah. And you mentioned, uh, you know, Peter and the swords, Peter actually took one of those swords uh, when the soldiers came to uh, apprehend Jesus and he cut off the soldier's ear, and Jesus uh, placed it back or healed uh, yeah, the soldier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And David certainly was a, a tremendous warrior. Absolutely. Uh, yes. So, well, if you can take us, Robert, to that point. Now, here you are. Uh, you're functioning day in and day out on guard as a sniper and then on a patrol. And um, there's a point at which, uh, obviously, that we know that um, that you were attacked. And tell us sure. about that. What happened? So uh, I'm in about uh, five months now, and it's May 3rd, 2005. So it's 22 days before my 32nd birthday. My birthday is May 25th. And I we're good. We did this route reconnaissance and we checked these sectors and we cleared two sectors already and we're clearing the last sector for the day and then we're done. And on the way to this last sector, we're driving up this off on and off. We have this on and off ramp. It's the same for on and off. And what they do is they side stack Jersey barriers or uh, K rails or, or highway dividers. They're cement blocks. So you have to serpentine like a through them nice and slow. So when somebody, if you, if a convoy is on this side of the road and a, and a car bomb is on the other side of the road, it can't get on that car, that ramp really quick and blow up the convoy. So we put these barriers in there to slow vehicles down so they can't do things like that. And we would have time to put our machine guns that are on the top of our Humvees or something like that and shut them down. So here we are, we're moving towards the last sector of the day. I'm coming around, I'm, I'm driving. I drive up, up this uh, uh, checkpoint 515 and there's a bomb on the other side of this barrier. And as soon as I get around it, boom, it goes off and it cuts through my door right next to my head. It cuts me in half from the left corner of my temple down through my jaw, takes my gunner's legs off and then takes the top of my truck commander's head off and then goes out the other side of the vehicle. And then the concussion was so huge and the bomb split a little bit that it took my 50 cal machine gun, blew it off the welding and put it about 200 yards up the freeway. And then the concussion, when it came through the vehicle, I had another truck commander sitting in the seat behind me and it blew him out of the vehicle. Wow. So when all this happened, um, it was like instant for me. I was the only one awake. Uh, it was like a molten sledgehammer hit me in the face that was shot out of a cannon. That's what it felt like. So it was burning me at about 3,500 degrees. Um, 
I was in a lot of pain and wincing in a lot of pain. I mean, I can't tell you when you have third degree burns and, and your jaw is hanging down here and, and every breath you're taking, you're losing a breath because we have ball bearings and secondary devices come in through the dash, uh, through the firewall and, and pelt our, our plates. So I had internal bleeding and a collapsed lung. And uh, so I just, uh, I just, Literally uh, looked over, saw that my buddy was, my truck commander was instantly killed. I looked back forward and the, and the front windshield was all covered with soot, smoke, dust. I was pretty knocked silly and I just said, well, I'm going to die. I'm going to die right here. And I just, I started to lean forward and die. And right then my, my uh, gunner came out of his, his seat and tried to stand up on his legs and his legs were just crushed bones and they, he just collapsed down on top of me. And so that pain stimuli kind of woke me up and I, and so I helped straighten him up. I grabbed him by his, his flak vest, uh, his, his um, bulletproof vest and put his back towards the windshield because the battery and the mounts of the battery was now blown up and gone. So that, that, that was more open there. And I put his back there and then I did the best I could to help him straighten out his legs and stuff. So I had three third degree burns and I had shrapnel go through my hands. I had a big shrapnel piece go through with this. And I almost lost these three fingers. So making my hands actually make fists and work and stuff was, was, and they weren't working proper. I had ton, tendons that were cut. I had burns down to the bone um, where you could actually physically see the bones in my fingers and hand and stuff. And so I just was doing my best I could to, just straighten his stuff out or his legs out. And um, I just remember uh, looking at him and he just looked at me and uh, we didn't have to say anything. I just said, I was just, you know, you know, uh, we just had love for each other. And I just, I just threw my arms around his, he's a, he was a, he was a little guy, you know, I was about 215 pounds solid and he maybe, maybe 145. <laughs> and I just put my arms around him and leaned on his chest. I was going to die right there. I was going to die with him, you know? And, uh, and he just put his arms around me and we were going to die together. And did he, um, I mean, you both, uh, succumbed to this, but well, you did. And did he, did he die? No, it took, uh, so what happened next was the, the truck commander who was in the seat behind me, he was blown out of the vehicle. And I'll kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to add to what he told me later. So, you know, so it all kind of jams together in the middle of the story here. So when he was in the street, he was knocked out, but he had a, a knee brace on his leg and it got caught in the edge of the door. And um, something that happened back at Garrison before we deployed, he blew his knee out. And then, but, you know, even that cross of hurting your knee and he's wearing a knee brace in a combat zone, it saved him from getting run over by a, by a, you know, an armored Humvee, because when it got jammed in that door, he kind of hang out and it still dragged him along as the, as the truck rolled forward and he didn't get run over. So here he is, he's laying upside down with his legs in the vehicle on uh, knee braces kind of wedged in the door jam there. And he wakes up to the, the voice of Sergeant Brooks telling him what to do to save my life and my gunner's life. And so when he came to, 
I'm leaning in Todd's lap. I'm thinking I'm going to die. I don't know he's going, what he's going through or what he's doing. He opens up my door and it took three, you know, the Holy Trinity took three tries and that door opened right up. And uh, you could hear like, you know, the, I could still hear the sound of the, of the metal and the sand just gritting, you know, as he opened the door and the sound it made, you know, and he looked at me and I just looked at him uh, from Todd's lap and I just looked up at him and he just, you could see the worry in his face and he did not look good. I mean, he had, he had blood coming from his eyes and his nose and his ears and his face was all covered with soot. He looked like he just got kicked and dragged by a horse. And, um, and I, he just started cussing a lot and, you know, uh, you know, and, um, worrying about us and he just asked me can you robert can you walk and i just shook my head yes i can walk so i got out of the vehicle and he put me in the back seat and he got in the humvee and he just drove it forward i didn't know it was still running because my ears are just ringing but he just he he drives and he just pulled enough forward and that by the grace of god that motor had ball bearings and shrapnel through it and through the transmission and it was still running and he got it forward enough where the other two vehicles could get through so they could get us back to the hospital. And if none of that happened just that way it did, I wouldn't be here, you know? Wow. So they loaded us up in the other vehicles. And I'm, I'm in the back seat. I know I'm dying. And with every breath I'm taking, I'm losing a breath. And they gave me this huge pad to put on my face. But it was all clotterized because it was like 3,500 degrees. So, like, I looked at it, and there wasn't barely any drops of blood on it. So I just set the pad down, like, you know, it's not doing anything. It's not stopping any of the bleeding. Everything I had going on that was killing me was the swelling in my mouth, the swelling in my throat, the, 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 the lack of oxygen in my lungs, and the internal bleeding that was slowly just filling up that cavity and choking off my lungs. So every breath. You know, the lungs were getting smaller, could take in less and less and less. So I'm in the back seat. I know I'm dying. And I just started saying, go, 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 go. And they were calling in nine line medevac. And here's this private young guy. He's, I mean, just turned 18 right before we deployed. He's, he's got his hands on the steering wheel and he's just waiting. He's waiting for the order from the lieutenant to go. And he's just holding there and he just wants to go with all his might. You know what I mean? He wants to get us back to base so bad. You could see it in him. And he's just waiting for that order. And he, and he tries to comfort me and he turns around and I'm about to pass out again. Now, if I pass out, I die. He turns around and he grabs my hand and squeezes it. And that pain stimuli of all that shrapnel on third degree burns in my left hand, man, it, it woke me back up again. And that, you know, that pain kept me going, that cross, right? That cross kept coming in and saving me. And so um, here I am. Uh, we, they finally get Todd loaded up our, our uh, my gunner in the other truck and everybody else kind of piled in the other truck. And we were a three vehicle team that day. And we headed back to base. We get back to base, we screech in and we have a small casualty hospital there. Uh, where the medics, you know, the lead medics can work on us and wait until the bird gets there. 
uh, the, the helicopter called a bird, but it's a helicopter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's where we called a nine line medevac because it takes about a half an hour. So you want to get, as soon as you have an incident, you want to get that bird in the air now because it's a half an hour before it'll get to you. So they're calling it in. He called it in. We're on the road. We're showing up. We're pulling right in through the gate. And uh, I don't want my guys to know how bad I am. And I can't see how bad I am. You know, mm-hmm. I just know that that this eye closed like a curtain, like a like the blood just covered it. And I couldn't see out of it anymore. I knew that there's something up with my jaw. I didn't know it was hanging down over here. I just knew it was broken. And things weren't moving right. I knew that I had third degree bearings on my hands and that's about it. I knew that my truck commander had nothing from here up and he was dead and in the vehicle. I knew that his body was covered with, with, with uh, so much shrapnel that he looked like a bird that was on the tip of a shotgun, you know? And um, so I knew he was instantly killed. I knew that my gunner had severe damage to his legs and burns, third degree burns to his legs. And, and so, but I didn't know what I looked like. And I, I just tried to get out of the vehicle on my own power and I was having trouble working the handle with my damaged hands. And my buddy coming in, opened the door, one of my best friends and I get up and I get out and I just start trying to walk into the hospital under my own power. And, and, um, I was a big guy and they, I got about halfway and they, they weren't having that anymore. And they picked me up and threw me on the stretcher. And then the last thing I remember is going through the doors and anything I can tell you beyond that is either afterlife or what I've seen in pictures. So I heard going through the doors and that's the last memory I had. I went into what's called tripod position where my hand is forward. And that when a, when a person goes into that position, they're just their their body is fighting to stay alive, and and that's all it's doing. And uh, with your medical, I know you understand that. And um, and so that's what I was in. Now, Chaplain Spikes is in this is in the hospital with us now. Now this is just our little casualty hospital at our base, and he's talking and praying with Todd. And Todd says, "You got to go see Robert. He's dying. He's dying." Now, Todd was dying, too. He was bleeding out of his his artery on his foot. His pedal artery was hit. Everything else was clotterized by that 3,500 degrees. Um, I'm glad to share pictures with you, Randy, but I can't share with the public because they're my photos of his legs, but it's not proper for me to share them with the public. But I'm glad to show you so as a medical guy, you can look and see that stuff. I'm glad to share that with you. Um, But you have to destroy them when you're done, if you would. Um, But... uh, so anyways, he sends, he sends Mike Spikes over and, and, um, and Mike is holding my hands and, and I die. I died right there. Now, this is the same chaplain I told I was going to die at the age of 31, 32, and it's now 22 days before my 32nd birthday. And uh, the next thing I know, I'd wake up at Walter Reed. So when I died, do you want me to tell you that now, or you want me? To- yeah, I just found it. You know, it's uncanny as as too small of a word really to to use. Um, you know, you had two of those events: one for your your uh, grandmother before she had died, and you had one in your life. You felt that you would die at at that age, and it came to bear. 
So you were clinically dead. Um, The chaplain was with you um, both places. And uh, so you're you're not here anymore uh, at that point. Yeah. So I coded uh, while the chaplain was praying for me. And, um, and this is what I saw. Now I died three times in my experience, but the first and the second time it's like one long experience for me. The last time I, I died was at Walter Reed hospital. And, um, I just had like, uh, my guardian angel telling me I had to fight, fight, fight to stay alive. But so when I died, I was naked on my knees. Now I told you I was a sinner, a very big sinner. I was naked on my knees and everything was black and white and gray. And I was on this like all marble landing with stairs going down into this pool and into this pool there to the left, to the right, there was pillars and they had been knocked down and they were laying down in this pool. And then farther out, there were two more pillars. And in the center of where those four pillars were was a drip coming from eternity and it was filling up this pool. And as soon as I saw everything that was in front of me, I knew that it was blood and I would knew it was very holy. That was the blood of Jesus. And I became very afraid. Now I've have been shot at. I've been blown up a couple of times. The second time got me, but I've been blown up a couple of times. This is a fear to be in the presence of the Lord is real fear. The fear of the Lord is a blessing. Now I turned over my left shoulder and I see the demon. Now you're more, you're no, you're the most vulnerable you'll ever be is naked on your knees and uh, with nothing to defend yourself. And I saw the devil. He was on a pillar over my left shoulder. He came down off that pillar. Huge dragon, huge. Uh, 15 men high, big. Uh, took his claws and was tearing me apart. And as soon as he touched me, I got to feel the depth of his of his evil, how much he hated us and how much he wanted to destroy every ounce of my being, every, every cell of my being, every chromosome, every atom of my being. He wanted to destroy it with a hammer, a molten sludge hammer. He'd like to beat it on a molten anvil and sit and pound it. For, for eternity. That's how much he hates us. And I got to feel that instantly. And so when I started getting torn apart, obviously I was very afraid already. I turned back to the blood of Jesus and I begged God to get out of there. And instantly it was like I was put in the palm of his hand and I got to feel, uh, I got to feel his love a love that is unmatched here and it's it's only there or in his presence a perfect love now i have kids and if anybody of you in your audience has kids the closest this is going to ever feel for you is when you see your child born you will give instant love for that child and you will instantly be willing to die for your child that your child may live And that is like a watch battery compared to all the suns and stars and nuclear plants and all the power of the universe. 
and it wouldn't even do a justice of how different it is. So we get a such a granule taste of love of what is coming for us and what was given to us. Mm. You, when I listen to you say that, and I think you said before you felt like, and this is how I felt when I was before Jesus, you felt like he, he, you felt like he considered you the most important person in the world. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but something like that. That's how I felt. And that's, I think what you have said before. Yeah. The only, I, I, when he, when I, when he grabbed me, it was like, I was the only robber he ever created in all of eternity. And that's how he loved me. That's how he loves all of his kids. We are all created in the image and likeness of almighty God. And the devil hates that. And so the only way he can get back is to try to destroy the image of God by destroying us. Yeah. So true. You know, and that's, I mean, you can't get more polar opposite than that, can you? I mean, you have the, uh, basically the author of Hate the Devil, you know, serving with this hatred. And you were, but I, what I, I find very striking about this account that you had uh, when when you had after you had died is that you had almost a warfare in and of itself. It seemed like you you had you were in the palm of God's hand. At the same time, you had uh, the devil. I'm sure he wanted to take you out, but you were in God's hand, and and it was like he couldn't touch me. He couldn't touch you. So. He he knows he knows the other guy's bigger than it. He better not mess around with uh, with God. Well, he's messing with the Creator, right? You know, uh, that's that's the thing we need to remember. You know, Hollywood kind of messes it up a little bit. They when they do the exorcism movies or any of that stuff. You know, I've watched a lot of um, exorcism priest videos and things like that, and they say, you know, that's where Hollywood always gets it wrong. Because when I come in the room, they know what's going to happen and it's going to be very painful for them. And they are full of fear. It's not us full of fear because God is going to work through us like a shining beam and destroy them. And they know what's coming. So um, and that's what we need to remember that we're created in the image and likeness of God. And it makes me think of a time when we not too long ago, we had to cover the image of God. Right. We had to cover our face. Mm-hmm. Now, did that give more power to the evil that's running around out there? Cover the image of God because they can't even see the image of God. And actually, I believe a demon cannot even look at you because you're created in the image and likeness. Now, it doesn't mean he's not on your back influencing you and whispering in your ear and in your mind and in your heart. So that malice and envy and death and destruction can come out of your heart and then out of your out of your mouth and then into your physical body and do evil things right because the evil is the evil doesn't have the arms we become the arms of the evil or the arms of god you know yeah and we, we get to choose who we we got to choose who we're going to be you know are we going to be children of god and do his work with our hands and our bodies and our minds and in our prayers and in our thoughts 
and in our words and in our heart and in our souls? Or are we going to give that over the evil one and the fallen corruption of where we came from? You know, seems like a no brainer, but yeah, you know, there are so many that still either struggle with that or they made their decision. You know, I'm, I'm going to continue without uh, acknowledging Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And you're in this place now where you're, God has you in his hands. Yeah. And what happens subsequent to that? So you're, you're now uh, saved, um, spiritually speaking, but your life is still in peril. Yeah. So I didn't want to, I, you know, so wonderful there. Um, This place stinks. I don't want to be here. I want to be with God. You know, I listened to so many of your speakers before and it's, you know, it's like my words they're using all the time. When I give these talks, it's, it's amazing. They reminded me of so much. Yeah. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to come back here, you know, and um, my buddy who was killed next to me, his spirit told me I had to go back. I hadn't, I hadn't had a wife and kids yet, you know, and here I am, you know, he had a wife and kids. He needed to go home, but that's, that's not, I don't get, I'm not the author of life. I'm not the creator. I don't get to decide that, you know? And I remember just sitting under a huge tree and looking down in the valley and sitting and talking with Jesus. And he held back from me what he said to me, because I think it's going to be revealed at some point. He'll speak to me. He speaks to me all the time, but he'll remind me when he needs to on his terms and on his time. But I did. I decided to come back. I got a wife and kids now. I was not married. Um, I prayed for that I would have three boys and a girl, father, son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, Mary, who, who, who said yes to the, to the Father and to the Holy Spirit to bring in life to save our salvation, you know. So that's how I look at things. And, you know, um, you had a great speaker, Dania, Danny, uh, Dana, uh, that I watched. And she talked about how she, how she looked at things like even baseball. And she could see the threads of the baseball, the blood of Jesus. And he was pure as white as snow. And, you know, the bat and, you know, the cross and all that stuff. And that's, that's kind of how I look at things. When she was saying that, I was like, gosh, you know, you don't, because I don't really talk about it with other people, you know, you just, you have these little reminders, you know, and so there was a time that, you know, I, I'm, now I'm sorry, I, I digress, but anyways, I, um, you know, I love it, but I love it though. I think, uh, Robert, you're, you're there trying to articulate. I know that feeling. Yeah. It was like every everything is an under under statement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you explain that there's no time? You know, how do you explain that to somebody? How do you say a thousand years is one day and one day is a thousand years? Because right. that's it. Right. You know? And until the our father prayer comes where heaven and earth touch and become one be on earth as it is in heaven right the our father prayer that's what we're right. waiting for that's what we're praying for right, right? when we say right. that prayer so when is that going to happen well when that happens then time 
and absence of time are going to touch and his kingdom will come and the marriage will happen. But so I'm now I'm my, you know, I, I go by, I decide I'm going to go back and I wake up at Walter Reed. Um, and it's five days later. Um, a nurse was scrubbing me down and uh, a sponge bath. And I woke up last thing I remember, I was in a combat zone, you know? And so I didn't trust anybody in the room. Uh, I didn't know who this woman was who was giving me a sponge bath. Um, I was severely on guard, you know, PTSD kind of moments stuff. And um, a little bit later, a nurse came in and they wanted to do a CAT scan on me. And I had just arrived. My family had not gotten there yet. And they put me in the CAT scan and she didn't clear my G and J tube. Um, do you know what those are? A G and J tube was a, you, you got a tube that goes into your stomach to drain off the stomach acid. Oh, and then you have wow, another okay, tube yeah. and then you have another tube into your intestine underneath the stomach so they can put, so they can feed you like insure or, you know, oh, some right, kind of shakes, right, right. shakes and stuff. So you're getting nutrients. And um, so they forgot to drain my, my stomach acid off. And so when they laid me flat, I had to always be sitting up. So when they laid me flat in the, in the CAT scan, I was holding that stomach acid down in my throat. I could feel it was trying, I was trying to vomit, but I had a tracheotomy in, right? So my trach, I was holding this stuff down and I could feel it coming up and they're like, be still. And it, there's the thing spinning and it's spinning and I can't hold it down anymore. So I tried to wave to her. I'm like, waving, waving, waving. And, and she's like, uh, she's like, be still, be still. And so I started kicking the table as hard as I could. Like, you got, you got to turn this thing off and get me out of here. And, and she's like, be still. And then all of a sudden I vomit out of my trach, stomach mm -hmm. acid. And, um, and then I drowned on my own stomach acid and died again. Mm. And, um, and they, she, they resuscitated me and then my mom showed up. Now the nurse, she quit after that. Um, my mom came in and she's a nurse for, you know, she, she just passed away this December from cancer, but she, uh, she was a nurse for like 45 years in a cardiac cath lab. So, so when she came to visit me, my mom was very tough. She should, she would have been a Sergeant major, <laughs> uh, in the army, but, um, she came in and the nurse is saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, he, we got him back. He's fine now. And she's like, well, what happened? Well, he drowned on his stomach acid. She's like, why didn't you just drain his, why didn't you drain his, his, his G tube? And so she just, the, you know, the blood fell out of her head because she didn't know she was talking to a nurse, you know, who knew these things. And then I never saw her again. You know, that was the last time I saw her. So, mm. wow. um, that was when then, you know, the, uh, Walter Reed would had some struggles and for a lot of years there because they had downsized the military in certain areas so much and medical was one of them. And because the medical was so like ghost ship, because we hadn't been at war so long that they, uh, 
they had no choice but to like hire contractors and everything to try to backfill. And some of these people weren't the best, you know, they had to get people who were trained from other countries and all kinds of things who didn't have the best medical practices. And, you know, some were good, some were fantastic and some were lackluster, you know, and that's just, uh, that's why you heard in the news, you heard some of those things that we were dealing with there. Now the care was good. It, it wasn't about that, but you know, it was just a little, you know, it just needed a little help, you know, in some areas. You know, so well, they were, uh, you know, you know, overburdened and understaffed. Yes. There you go. Perfect. Perfect uh, words. Yeah. I uh, so when I when they woke when I woke up from that last time of dying, I just I saw my guardian angel and he just said, you've got to fight now. you got to get plum dog me and fight. And he he knew me well enough He's a guardian. Our guardian angels are around us all the time and they're here to. They're there to help us. They carry our prayers up to the throne, right, for us. And they bring down messages back from God and blessings down back from God. So here I am, I'm, you know, and he's telling me, you got to fight, you got to fight, you got to fight. And so uh, I did, and I, I, I was able to live. And then I remember seeing that the demon was now a man. And, like, the painting across the hall would, like, would like go slide over and he would be in the wall behind it. And he was just furious, like so furious because he had me, you know. Mm. And then throughout the years, you know, uh, or this from one of your other speakers, you, you, after an experience like that, you just like, you have all this peace and joy and you're back in the world that is not full of peace and joy. And you're looking at people and they're looking at you like you have a blinking light in the center of your forehead, you know, like, like, uh, why are you talking like this? And, you know, why are you so kind and why are you so peaceful? And, and, and you can't understand why people are like going into sin and doing things. You're like, what are you doing? You're destroying yourself. And you're, you know, and you did, I had to, had to come back into reality and recognize Hey, I came out of that too. Um, you know, and I was full of anger at times and I was hateful at times and I was lustful at times and I was all those evil things. And, um, and I, I needed to be, I needed to keep, I have to keep reminding myself that I'm not here to save people. Jesus is here to save people. I'm just the messenger or a donkey trying to carry the word of God. And I'm just trying to carry his message because uh, I'm a sinner and he loves me. He took me for where I am now and where I was back then. And he looks at everybody the same that way, like a child of his. And I can remember these two guys and I was going through this you know, my face is still severely damaged. You know, I, I, I'm down to like 175 pounds and in two, in two weeks I lost from 215, I was down to 175 pounds. I mean, I, my body was just working overtime to stay alive. It was feeding off itself and eating up all my muscle. And, um, and these two guys were about to fight. It was downtown DC, you know, and DC can be a pretty rough place. And my mom had to stay at a hotel off campus, off Walter Reed. 
and she was trying to check in the hotel and she's sitting there and we're in, she, I was sitting in the rental car and she said, just stay here. And I'm like, you know, she was treating me like a child. Hmm. <laughs> Here's a soldier who's got back from combat and his mother's babying him like a little baby, right? <laughs> and I'm watching these two guys who are about to fight each other in front of me, in front of the car while she's inside the hotel. So one had backed out of a out of the parking garage, and the and the other car was trying to get in after him. Uh, he thought he was going to go forward, but the ramp goes up and then down, so the angles were like this. So he can't see this car behind him. So when he backs up, he just it was an accident. He couldn't go anywhere because he would have backed out into the traffic, and this guy couldn't see him. So they just backed into each other and had some damage. And, you know, and they're yelling and I said, hey, you know, I got out of the car. I had to stop and just bring peace to the situation. I said, look, this is mostly just a misunderstanding. The angles here, he can't see your car. And you didn't know he's going to back up. You weren't you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't avoid it. And so when you were honking your horn, he doesn't know somebody's honking at him, you know. And so that diffused the situation and they didn't kill each other right there, you know. But you were the peacemaker in that in that situation. I got to do and, it at least one time in my life. I'm glad I did. <laughs> and and meanwhile, you have the the bandages. You've lost uh, essentially half of your face at that point, and and they're probably looking at you like, yeah. "Whoa, this guy knows what he's talking him. about." Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and you were you had this kind of dichotomy within. Uh, the afterlife space there where um, the the demon or the devil uh, is there twice and both times that you died uh, in the hospital and you have God, you're in God's hand the first time and then the second time your guardian angel tells you that it's your time to go. Yeah, because I'm back here on earth now. Yeah. Right. And, yeah, because I'm that, back here on Earth now. You know, the, he's the, mm -hmm. the demon's the king of this world, right? Right, right. And you said, if and correct me if I'm wrong, but the the first time when you flatlined, uh, that your brother in arms who had died told you you needed to go back because you had a family. Yeah, because I hadn't had a wife and kids yet. Yeah. So, so it was predicted that we were going to have, I was going to have a wife and kids. Yeah. So, so he never came back. Uh, he's trustfully in heaven today, but he told you. There's no greater uh, gift than to die for your friends. Yes. And, and. Uh, That's what Jesus said. Exactly. And, and he, he, he was the, sounds like the inspiration uh that compelled you to come come back return um yeah and and you're so you're you return the second time and obviously you need reconstructive uh surgery you went through uh a number of surgeries what about 40 surgeries over four years something like that 40 procedure 40 procedures like 12 to 14 times under anesthesia so sometimes they, someone, some doctors would be working on my hands and some doctors would be working on my face, you know, so. Wow. But the longest surgery I think was like 12 to 14 hours or something like that. And you had no bottom lip. You had no, right, at this you know. time you weren't married. 
And yeah. did you have thoughts of like, who's going to marry me now? Or what am I going to do? You know, and you don't oh, have. Oh, a... yeah. 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 I mean, I remember looking in the mirror and telling myself, you remember what you look like. You remember what you look like. And just your, my, you know, the vanity of, of who I was as a man. And then I'm like, well, I could become a priest um, and I'll just do that. I'll become a priest. And one but, day I may become a deacon, actually. But um, well, your, fr your friend, actually, who, who went on to heaven, he was... Uh, and, and he was he predicted the, uh, what was to come. He, yeah, he was the soldier that he did. He did die. You were the right. soldier beside him who who right. came back. He told you you were going to have a family. Yeah. So that's. I mean. So there's no lies in heaven, right? Right. Yeah. So what he what he gave me was outside of time and in the future. So uh, after my first few surgeries and I was at Walter Reed for about three months, I got a break in between surgeries and I got back to get to, uh, Arizona and the Irish pubs I used to work at, they had, uh, what's called an Irish fesh for me. And they raised a bunch of money and that money paid for my family to come take care of me and take time off work and pay their bills and their flights and their hotel rooms to come take care of me. Because like we talked about before, the hospital didn't have was understaffed. And so the facility entirely was out was understaffed. So the parents definitely needed to come in and backfill and make sure that their kids were doing okay and getting to their appointments, their surgeries, getting their meds, you know, getting stitches taken out, all those things that had to go on. So here I was, uh, I got a break in between surgeries and I, uh, I got a surgery about every three months and I, and I, and I got leave for about a month. So I went back to Arizona to thank everybody um, at those Irish pubs and tell them thank you for what they did for me uh, and my family. And um, there was uh, one night I was there, it was Thanksgiving. Before I left for the army, I got severely drunk with my brother and it was my going away party before I left for Iraq. And I got to kiss this girl her name was Jordan, and um, and I I didn't remember a lot from that night because I'd been drinking since noon, and this is about ten o'clock p.m. when she showed up. So as to say, I was in the bag. I was in the bag fully with a bottle of rum, and uh, and I kissed this girl that night. And I tried to get her phone number, got her phone number, called her. Uh, I didn't have many days in town before I shipped out, and I. And I wanted to talk to this girl and take her out on a real date. Well, she blew me off and I saved her number. And then I got blown up and to find out, come to find out when I was back in that Irish pub, she had auctioned herself off as a date, uh, which which a lot of the girls were doing to, to raise money. And my brother did. And a lot of the guys were doing that too. And firefighters and stuff like that. And, and as uh, my, wife had auctioned herself off and raised some money, my to-be wife. And I, my buddy turns to me and he looks at me and I, you know, I'm, I'm in the bar. I'm just thanking people. I'm just telling them, Hey, thank you guys. You know, I appreciate what everything you did for me and my family. You paid for the way for a lot of things and I just appreciate it. And, and, um, 
my buddy looks at me and goes, Hey, do you remember Jordan? I said, soft lips. Yeah, I remember soft lips. And that's <laughs> that kind of thing that, you know, it's the funny things that stick to you, you know, like I can't remember a lot from that night other than I should never sing on the stage and never <laughs> drink that much. And that girl I kissed Jordan had the softest lips I've ever kissed. And and so I said to him, I said, so, yeah, yeah, soft lips. He goes, yeah, soft lips is over at the other end of the bar. Why don't you come over and say hello when you're done? And I'm like, all right. So I went over there and now I had this surgery, but I didn't have a vestibule. I didn't have the gutter that's in front of your teeth. So this was just tight to my jaw. It was just the first of many surgeries on my road. So I was pretty banged up. I didn't have a fake eye in yet. And so I just had, you know, patch and 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 stuff and, and so I'm you know Jordan's sitting there at the bar and I just stood behind her and I said hey Jordan she says hi and I said you don't know it yet but when the swelling goes down on my face I'm going to kiss you again <laughs> well she just kind of smiled and then turned away from me um and she was a very she's very shy and reserved and I don't know a stranger and uh, she was intimidated by me, I found out, and that's why she would never date me. Um, but uh, the next, my buddy asked me, he said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, well, I'm, I'm in town for next month. And he said, well, you want to go see a movie? I said, sure. So we go and see a movie, Four Brothers. It's a total guys movie. It's violence and, and everything else. And Jordan shows up too. And so now I know that she likes me. And so... So after the movie, we hung out and we talked and she gave me her phone number again. And I was, you know, grudging. I was like, well, she didn't call me. I'm not going to call her this time, you know? Hmm. And then I'm like, nah, I just better call her. So I called her the next day. We went on a date the next day and, and uh, I ended up marrying her within, uh, you know, uh, within a year. I asked for her hand within four months. That was it. I knew as soon as I started dating her, I knew, you know, I've been looking for her my whole life. I've been engaged three times before I met her. Wow. And, and, and that family happened. Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of miscarriages. And so um, that prediction of having our own children from Sergeant Brooks, you know, that got us through some really rough times. Um, and we, our first boy is named after him. And, uh, and we have two more boys. And um, I don't know if he's going to give us a girl. I prayed for three boys and a girl, but he gave me three boys and we'll see if I get a girl. Yeah. There's yeah. still time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm 50, so I don't, there's not much time. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, but there's John the Baptist. You, you never know the in this day and age. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah you got yeah. Sergeant Sergeant Brooks is uh, in heaven uh, today. We trust, and yeah. so well, he is in heaven because he he was the one that told you you had to come back. Yeah. So obviously, he knows where he was going. Well, he uh, was already there. I mean, um, I wasn't um, able to go that far. I could hear him talk to me. Um, do you remember how Moses couldn't see the face of God? Right, he saw the. Uh, uh, well, he looked at the the backside of God. Yeah, the cloud. Face. Yeah, the cloud covering uh, God's right. face. Right. 
Now, Moses was a very, very holy man, one of the most holy men in the Bible, you know, and yeah. he actually appeared with Jesus on the Mount, right? Right. When Jesus was glorified in his reveal. Um, and he couldn't see the face of God. Now, here's me, a sinner. So to be in the face of God wasn't a reality for me. Now, where I went, so your listeners know, is if you go to your Bible and Jesus, well, John talks about that. I believe this is John. He says, I saw the multitude of those who washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. And that's where I was. I was at that stairs where we wash our robes in the blood of the lamb. And because I never washed my robe, I was still dirty because I didn't touch his blood. Yeah. And you know? Sergeant sounds like Sergeant Brooks had, he was speaking oh, to yeah. you from, yeah, he was from heaven. Yeah. He was fully on the other side. Yeah. He, he was, in my uh, opinion, I believe he was fully on the other side, but Jesus told us that he said, there's no greater gift than to die for one's friends. Yes. And Jesus is not a liar, you know? And so the multitude of sins that Sergeant Brooks had on his, on his person, uh, on himself, uh, you know, uh, as Catholics, we call that a martyr's death. Uh, it's by the shedding of blood, like Jesus has shed, uh, that, that you, what your, all your sins are wiped free. You know, he was, he was a praying man. He spent time in his Bible. He, um, doesn't mean he wasn't a sinner. He had some things he was battling just like the rest of us, but he was farther ahead way light years ahead than i was um yeah. you know so yeah god's well, mercy is unmatchable so absolutely it is unmatchable and there are people right now uh robert who are listening and or seeing your hearing your story and they're they're in awe I mean, they're absolutely in awe and, uh, but not everybody knows Jesus as their Lord and savior. And some feel like, well, you know, uh, I have sinned or I'm a sinner, but I believe in all of that. So, um, one of my favorite parts, Robert, is when I give our guests the opportunity to pray for our audience and um before we do that i wanted to ask you if you had anything else you would like to share with our audience uh relative to your story or any of the insights that you gleaned from your myriad of experiences god's given me a lot of things throughout my life and uh he gave me the gift of prophecy and i see things and he speaks to me um, I had to accept that. Uh, he may give so one of you out there tongues. He gave me tongues about a year ago. Now, don't be afraid of any of the gifts that God gives you. And then know that he's with you every day and he wants to hear about your day. Just like a father wants to hear about their son or daughter's day and share everything in life with him. You know, he wants you to share all those things with him. And I have to get better at that. And I'm still walking in my way, even now 
I've seen all these things and I'm, I'm, a, I'm still a sinner too. I still mess it up sometimes. And then I repent. I, I get hard on my prayer and I'm, and I, I, I try to do good things and try to do, uh, be the light in the world down here in this, in the presence of this darkness that surrounds us. And we have to do that, but he'll give you many blessings and fortitude for the, for the road ahead. I've seen amazing things. I've seen people be healed. I've seen, I've seen the dead uh, guys who were dead in body bags come uh, alive to this day. I've seen, I've seen multicolored uh, autumn leaves fall and be created out of out of eternity and pop out and follow my buddy and I. I've seen miracles that I didn't know existed when I was a sinner. I didn't know there was good people out there who just cared about me and wanted me to come home and just while we were praying for me throughout throughout the years and I rejected them and just as I had to rejected Jesus. So Jesus is always reaching into our lives. And he never every person may fail you, but Jesus will never fail you. He'll never leave you. Just reach out to him while there's time left. Things are getting wonky out there. Things are not it seems a lot up, upside down. You know, there, people are saying bad things are good and good things are bad. And Christians are getting persecuted all over the place. We have to keep that in mind. And I'd say, please pray for every faith. Pray for everyone out there. All are created in the image and likeness of God. Jesus is the truth, the light, and the way. And he loves everyone. And we have to pray for them. We're all in a state of conversion. Some are farther ahead than others, and some are not there yet. We have to pray for them because what joy in heaven we want to bring Jesus, who had mercy on us, if we help one soul come back, if we help one. And this this ministry you have here, Randy, I mean, it, it, I've seen the other side, and it, it had me bawling. I know twice now. I watched two of your episodes and I reached out to you guys not too long ago. And just listening to the testimony talks here, I recommend you guys get on here again, support this channel, support Randy and his effort and his ministry so he can keep the lights on and keep the word going on as long as he can. Why he we still have access to internet and that these things are at our availability. And instead of looking at something that we need to shop about. Maybe we need to shop for a bit of love for Jesus here on, on some of these ministries and some of these things that are out here for us. So stay in his word. He loves you. And that's, that's the best advice I could give you. He loves you like you're the only one he created and he will never leave you. It's, you're the, it's, it's us who leave him. Yeah. You're the first person actually, Robert, that, has said exactly what I had said in in, uh, in my encounter, and you said the same thing. I know we all, many of us have said basically the same thing, but you said exactly the same thing. So I feel like that that's amazing to me and, and affirming to me. Um, thank you for saying that, by the way. This is being broadcast to the Middle East as well and uh to the underground church in uh in china 
and other places. So, um, as well as, of course, uh, uh, America and, and around the world. So, again, we thank you uh, for your service uh, to our country and to uh, freedom um, across, the, across the globe uh, sure. and your sacrifice and the sacrifice of, um, of your fellow soldiers uh, in, in the battlefield. Uh, yeah. We pray in, in Jesus' name uh, for the protection of those in the field um, we plead the blood of Jesus Christ over you if you're watching this uh, in those places. Sorry. Um, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Um, my, my family has fought in every war now, and a major war, I should say. And, um, you know... Um, it's just I couldn't appreciate our soldiers more. I forgot what I was going to say, so I'm going to I'm going to let you pray, Robert. <laughs> so time for you to pray for us, please. Well, the great thing uh, there, Randy, is that we watched instantly when God touches our heart. You know, and that things happen. He comes right in there, and sees us as a, in that moment. You know, and true. Uh, so it was really nice to watch, and I, I really appreciate you all having me on your show. It just uh, it means a lot to me. I, uh, I'll, I'll come back anytime you want me to. You want to do a group set with a bunch of your speakers or anything like that, I'm, I'm all in. Anything to help you out and help get the word out. Well, if we can start. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us all and all those who watch here. May the scales fall from our eyes and the deafness fall from our ears and, the, and all the walls fall from our hearts. May we open ourselves up to you, Lord, to receive your spirit. May you be sent forth and cover all those in the underground church. May you build them up and give them strength and fortitude to fight on, to carry your truth and your light. May you give them the oil they need for their lamps. May those who are listening who don't know Jesus Christ know that you love them. May you cover them with your blanket of love and lift them out of that darkness and show them the light and how to get out of what they're in. And that this is not the end of their time, that they have a whole life with you if they, if they choose so. Lord, show your divine mercy upon all of us. Bless us with your entire gifts of, of your Holy Spirit, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit that we may have the fortitude to move forward, that we may have the understanding of your holy word, that we may have the counsel to help those around us, that we may have the wisdom to do your holy will. Now, most of all, we have fear of you, Lord, because of your divine love, that we may separate ourselves from you, and that it never happened, Lord, that you may hide us in your holy wounds, that you may hold us and cover us with thy precious blood. We ask the most precious blood of Jesus Christ to save us and the whole world. We say this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.